When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Good morning. This morning I'd like to start with a story that is not true to me and occurs on the ocean, but for the sake of telling the story, I'm going to pretend it's true for me and set it at White Rock Lake. So pretty much the same thing. So imagine, if you will, I'm doing something that I very rarely do, which is go out to get some exercise, and I'm walking around White Rock Lake, and as I come around the corner, I see one of the sections right by the water there's a cage, and I, I look in the cage, kind of peer over, thinking maybe it's a possum or something that was caught by the, the park services. And inside of that cage are three red-eared sliders. You all familiar with red-eared sliders? Yeah, these, these adorable little turtles that infect our waterways, right? These, they're very cute. And I'm looking at those turtles going, wonder if it's some kid who's catching turtles, or is it the park service and they're doing something? I'm not going to touch it. I'm going to keep on walking. So I keep on walking, and I do an entire lap of the lake. For those of you who have done that, you know that's a commitment, and that's exactly the kind of exercise I do not do. <laughs> but for the sake of the story, I made it all the way around the lake, and I get to that cage, and now there are five sliders in there, and there's a young woman sitting there at the side of the water, and she's holding a sixth readier slider. She has a toothbrush in her hand, and she's just working on the shell of that turtle, getting in between every single little seam and just, just scrubbing it down. And I had to ask, what, what are you doing to that poor turtle? What's going on here? And she said, oh, well, you know, these, these waterways are great, but there's all sorts of algae blooms and different bacteria that are in the water. And turtles, they're not fast-moving creatures. And so over time, the algae and the bacteria starts to populate on their shell and it starts to weigh them down and slow them down and they're not able to catch their food and it's just a problem for the turtles. So I come up to the lake and I catch as many as I can and, and then I clean their shell so they can kind of have a fresh start at life. I just look at her for a minute. I thought, well, that uh, seems like a noble cause, but this is a big lake. And there are a lot of turtles in this lake. And I know this is Texas, and we're not known for our lakes. But there's more lakes here than just White Rock Lake. And those are filled with red-eared sliders. And, and really, this I, I've, I lived in Minnesota for many years. And you know, there's a handful of lakes in Minnesota, you sure you betcha. And there's red-eared sliders all through there. I mean, when you look at the big picture, 
When you look at all of these lakes, all of these rivers, all of these waterways, all of these places where these red-eared sliders are being covered by algae and infected with this bacteria, what difference are you really making? Seems kind of like a waste of time. And she looked up at me and she finishes this turtle and she smiled. She goes, it makes all the difference in the world to that one and sets it free and it swims into the lake. And it makes me think, what difference do we make? We, we live in a world where so much is going on. And just here in Richardson, there's so much going on. And then in Texas, in the United States, and then in the global stage, there is so much pain and suffering, and there's such a desperate need for the gospel to be preached. What difference can one person make? And as we turn to Psalm 126 this morning, that's a question that I want to have in the back of our minds. What difference can one person make? And as we're going to go through this psalm, just like uh, Jacob Marley in A Christmas Carol, we are going to be looking at the past, at the present, and at the future. So let's start with God's faithfulness in the past. Look at Psalm 126, starting in verse 1, as we just heard it read. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion... We were like those who dream. That's downright Shakespearean, isn't it? It's, it's poetry. In the original Hebrew, it's, it's a little bit different. They, they've made some interpretive moves. And as you're looking at your Bibles, as we have different translations, I'm sure, in the pews, you have different things than what was read just a moment ago, what I read just now. Let me give you a, the brute-forced, literal translation of what's there. When the Lord turned the turning of Zion... We were like those who dream. When the Lord turned the turning. Now, the context here is this is a, a post-exilic psalm. So it's talking about the captives, the Babylonian captives, the people of Israel for over 70 years had been in captivity. And now, for the first time in 70 years, they're able to go from Babylon down that long road to Jerusalem to worship God in the holy city. 70 years of captivity. It would be like a dream that some of these people had only heard of worship on the Temple Mount, and now they get to participate in it. It's, it's like a dream come true. When the Lord turned the turning, when, when we look at the history of Israel, what do we see? We see an ADHD nation. They are going their direction. They're going the direction God set them, and then they just start veering to the left. And they start chasing their own interests. They start doing what's right in their own eyes. They start worshiping the gods of the neighboring nations. And what does God do? He turns the turning and points them the right direction. And Israel's like, that's right, that's right. That's, this is what true worship is. And they do great for a few minutes. And then they start veering. But if we're being honest with ourselves, Israel is not the only group of people who need to be turned because they're perpetually turning, Right? Aren't we much the same way? Don't we regularly need to be reminded of the truth of God's word, of the truth of the gospel? You know, and I can't help, I'd like to finish reading just the beginning of this psalm. When the Lord turned the turning of Zion, we were like those who dream. Our mouths were filled with laughter then, and our tongues with shouts of joy. I want you to notice that's passive. 
They're not choosing to laugh. They're not choosing to shout out in joy. Just the circumstances. Our mouths were filled with laughter because of this blessing, because they've been turned and they are now facing the temple again and they're able to worship as they were meant to worship. It's, it's almost involuntary. Their mouths are full of laughter. Their, their shouts are full of joy. Then they said among the nations, the unbelieving nations, huh, that, that's implied. The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We were joyful. We have this beautiful picture of God's faithfulness in the past. And when I consider what's going on in the Middle East right now, when we look at Israel and we look at Gaza, I want us to remember God's faithfulness to the people of Israel. I want us to remember that God has continually turned the turning. And there have been seasons in the history of Israel, even modern Israel, where their mouths were filled with laughter and their yells of joy. And now, with the events, there is no laughter in Israel or Gaza. There is no joy. And I want to encourage us, as we're looking at this psalm, and we are reminded of God's faithfulness specifically to Israel, that we would pray for Israel, that we would pray for the events in Gaza, that we would be mindful that there are hostages that need to be returned home. There are those who are suffering who need medical care. There are those who are living in fear who need to be living in a world of stability. We need to pray for these people. And when we pray for these people, we start that prayer from the position of God is faithful. God has been faithful to Israel over and over again when Israel has not been faithful to him. God has been faithful to us over and over again when we have not been faithful to him. Let's remember to pray for Israel. Nothing but a dream for 70 years, and they're restored to worship in the Temple Mount. What an incredible gift. And then it shifts from this reminder. The psalmist takes us from God's faithfulness in the past, and he brings us to our longing in the present. Verse 4, just one short little verse, which is on the next page of my Bible. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like water courses in the Negev. So I, I want you to, to hear the tone. The psalmist is celebrating. God has been so faithful. Even the unbelieving nations, the unbelieving nations see what has happened in our liberation, in our freedom from oppression and captivity, and they go, their God has been faithful to them. And he has been faithful to us. This is, this is the equivalent and we've heard the story, and some of us have experienced the story time and time again, of someone going in to the hospital for some tests because they've had this aggressive disease or this aggressive form of cancer, and there seems to be no hope, and they're going in for some imaging. And the results come back, and the doctor says, uh, huh, this is, uh, this is very strange. We're going to need to run some more tests. And they run some more tests, and it comes back, and the doctor shakes his head and he says, I don't know what's happened here, but I, I, I hear that you believe in God and, and, well, God is looking out for you. 
Because I have no explanation for the fact that your cancer is gone other than something supernatural has happened. This makes no medical sense. So your God has been faithful to you. This this is the equivalent of what the unbelieving nations are doing. They're seeing something and going, there's no explanation for this, but the faithfulness of their God. But now, belonging. That was then, this is now. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like watercourses in the Negev. Things are not as they once were. It seems like ages since our mouths were filled with laughter. Things have changed. The Negev is this riverbed that cuts through the desert, and it's dry. It is a dry riverbed. It is only populated with water when the rare rains uphill occur, and then the river fills up with that water, and then it's gone. So more often than not, over eight months of the year, the Negev is bone dry. I look at this and I think about our circumstances, our spiritual walks, our spiritual lives. There there are times, there are seasons in our walk with our God that we feel the joy. The, The pink candle is lit in our soul. But there are also seasons of dryness. There are seasons where the question shifts from praise God from whom all blessings flow to well, praise God to where is God? And that dryness enters in. And I look at this reminder about the Negev River, and I wonder, where do we stand when we're spiritually dry? Where do we situate ourselves when it seems as though God is silent? Do we place ourselves on a high stand, sand dune and fold our arms? And, you know, God is absent and silent, and maybe he isn't even present? Or do we step down to the Negev? Do we step down to that dry riverbed, the place where water has historically flowed? And do we stand there and pray, God, you were once faithful, which means you are now faithful. Restore our fortunes and praying for that spiritual water to flow once again because that's where it flowed. Are we a people of prayer, even in the dry seasons? Over and over again, as you'll see, as I look at this psalm, I can't help but be reminded of the discipline of prayer. Restore our fortunes, Lord. They now pray, the the metaphor that the psalmist is using, that the rest of the people who are still in Babylon, the rest of those people who didn't come with them when they were set free, They're praying that they would come to Jerusalem. But the road is empty. The riverbed is empty. There are no people flowing down. The prayer is that those roads would overflow their banks like the streams in the desert when the waters are flowing again. Restore our fortunes. Because we have experienced this joy, because we have been set free, because we have been liberated, we experience this joy. Where is everyone else? Where where is their joy? We want them to experience this joy when we are aware of the beauty of our Savior's gift to us. Joy is just step one. That joy overflows into sharing, into wishing that others would be able to experience this joy with us. 
So looking back at the past and remembering God's faithfulness to us can be a healthy thing. I just I want you to think for a moment. I want you to remember uh, there was a time when our mouths were filled with laughter. Uh, there was a time when our families were all together. Our, our church was full. There was a time when our nation was at peace and the world seemed like a safer place. Remembering these times can be healthy. The, the danger, the danger is when the past begins to look better than our future. When we get lost in the past, we, we should look back at our past with a prayer on our lips for God's help in the future. Has the joy from the past turned into silence in the present? Is God not hearing from us like he should, even in those dry seasons? As a church, let me encourage us to pray for Trinity Fellowship Church, that we would be a place where the gospel is lived, where people are loved and missionaries are sent. This needs to be our prayer Restore our fortunes, Lord, like watercourses in the Negev. May we overflow with the work of the Holy Spirit so that we might overflow into our families and our communities, into our nation and the world. So, remembering the faithfulness of God in the past, looking and longing in the present, what do we do? Well, this is the third Sunday of Advent, the Sunday where we celebrate joy. Here's what we do. We be joyful. Be joyful as we anticipate God's faithfulness in the future. Hear this anticipation. Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. The one goes along weeping Carrying the bag of seed, the, the way the, the Hebrew is, is structured there, it's, it's a continual sense. So it's the one who goes along weeping, weeping as he's sowing. So as he's sowing, he's weeping. He will surely come back with shouts of joy, carrying his sheaves. Now, this is strange. From, from joy to tears. From tears to joy. But that's what Advent is all about. That's what this season is all about. Fleming Rutledge says that Advent begins in the dark. It's a season of mystery. It's a season of anticipation. These tensions between joy and tears and salvation and suffering, remembrance and hope, dreams fulfilled and longing, desperate prayer, those things capture the heart of Advent. Even that most joyful of Christmas carols, Joy to the world contains in it a desperate prayer. Do you remember this? I'm not going to sing it to you. But right in the middle. No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow. Where? Far as the curse is found. Jesus has come. He has come. And that all on its own, is cause for shouts of joy. Jesus has come, yet sin and brokenness still surround us, and the effects of the curse are found everywhere. But as far as the curse is found, what do we sing? Joy to the world. 
So we sow in tears. But we know that the Messiah who has come is coming again. That first advent where that baby came in that manger to live that perfect life, to do for us what none of us could do on our own, to go to that cross to make atonement for our sins, to to die so that we might have life. That first advent is the first advent. We are in a season of anticipation right now for the second advent. He is coming. Alan Ross, the Old Testament scholar, says, as the difficulties increase, the perseverance must increase, and the resulting joy will be all the greater. Think about that for a second. Sowing in tears and reaping in joy are inseparable. I could almost go as far as to say, the greater the sorrow, the greater the joy. This is what we're reading in Psalm 126. This is why this psalm is such a perfect psalm for Advent. Like us, it stands right in the middle of God's work. On one end, it proclaims what he has done. On the other end, it prays for what he will yet do. In a broken world, it proclaims joy, even as it prays through tears. That's Advent. That's the Christian walk. But this is not the way it's always going to be. One day, the faithfulness of God in the past will not be able to hold a candle to the joy of eternity. This is just momentary. This is why, even as we sow in tears, we can live in the certain hope of abundant joy. I want to tell you the story about a missionary named Del Tar. Uh, He served in the Sahara Desert, just below the Sahara Desert in West Africa, where the weather and the weather systems are very similar to what they are in the Holy Land. Rainfall comes May through August, and the other eight months are bitterly hot, bone dry, dust getting inside of everything. Your homes, your mouth, your watch, everything. Dust is everywhere. No farming is possible during those eight months. Everything has to be grown May through August. So think about that. In the fall, the granaries are full. Uh, The people are happy. They're enjoying a good two meals per day, is what the missionary tells us. But by December, their supplies start to diminish, and families, by necessity, start to have only to eat once a day. By February, hunger is setting in. By March, food is cut back to one half portion per day. Deltar says, April is the month that haunts my memory. The dust filters down through the air and sounds carry for long distances. April is the month you hear the babies crying at twilight. Their mother's milk is now stopped. But then it happens, inevitably. Some six or seven-year-old boy comes running into the house with excitement. Daddy, Daddy, we have grain. I found grain. We can make flour. We can eat tonight. In the shed where we keep the goats, there's a leather sack and it's full of grain. We can eat. The father doesn't move and looks at his son and says, we can't use that grain. That's that's next year's seed grain. It's the only thing that stands between us and and starvation. We're waiting for the rains. And when the rains come, we need to use it. 
So instead of feeding his desperately hungry family, he takes that sack of grain and he goes out and he throws this life-giving grain, he throws it into the dirt. He throws it away. And Del Tar says he's seen this and they are weeping as they're sowing because this could be used for food and they're so hungry. But why do they do it? Because they believe in the harvest. The harvest comes from God's work. God alone grants the harvest. He asks us to sow. And sometimes sowing can be very difficult. Sowing and reaping are not just about techniques and principles. The process involves emotions as well as faith. Have you ever felt this way? Have you ever felt like the soil has been hard and you're wasting your time and you're wasting your effort? Sometimes it seems to make no sense when God asks us to plant seed or we think, who am I? What difference can I make? Why should I even be the one to sow anything? What difference can one person make? Well, as that woman in my imaginary situation at the beginning of the sermon said, one person can make all the difference in the world. This church is full of red-eared sliders. Our neighborhoods are full of red-eared sliders. The, the world is full of red-eared sliders. How are we taking advantage of our proximity to our neighbors to be the hands and feet of Christ in our neighborhood? How are we using the gifts that God has given us to encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ sitting next to us in the pew. Here's my challenge to each of us this Advent season. Coffee and meals. Sounds good so far. I like it. I want you to look around this sanctuary, and I want you to identify someone, someone that maybe you've never spoken to or someone you haven't spoken to in quite some time, and get together with them for coffee. Get together with them to have a conversation that goes beyond the sports and the weather where you can ask the question, how are you? And you're ready to listen to the response. One of the greatest gifts we can give to another person costs us nothing but our time. To listen, to truly listen. And from listening, we can begin to understand. And with understanding, we grow in our compassion. And that compassion brings us to prayer and we can be praying for one another and sometimes the sowing is going to involve weeping but we have hope that when God grants the harvest our mouths will once again be filled with laughter and shouts of joy church reach out to one another but don't let it stop there look in your neighborhood when is the last time your dinner table has had a family from down the street for the sake of getting to know them? Not with the agenda to beat them over the head with the gospel, but with the desire and the heart to be the gospel in their lives. To give them the gift of listening. To be present. This Advent season, may we be a welcoming church, loving those around us, being the hands and feet of Christ as we are joyful. So church, be joyful as we anticipate God's faithfulness in the future for our church, for our neighborhood, and for our world.
Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we worship you because you are not merely faithful to us. You are the very picture of what faithfulness is. I pray that you would remind us of those seasons where we relied on your faithfulness, where we saw the fullness of your gifts in our life and our mouths were filled with laughter. I pray that your spirit would stir within us and give us a longing in the present for your faithfulness once again. This Advent season, as we remember the coming of the sun, light within us a fire of excitement with a sure hope that we have that the sun is coming again. Give us eyes to see the men and women in our lives. Give us the heart to be able to spend time with them, to grow in our knowledge of them, to ask questions, to listen, to love, to pray. May we be a church who is faithful to our hope and loves those around us. We cannot do this on our own. We need your Holy Spirit who fully indwells us to strengthen us and give us the courage to use our gifts to those around us. So we pray this in the precious name of our sent and coming Lord and the power of the indwelling spirit. Amen.